You're listening to the Warrior Priest Podcast. And this is the Warrior Priest Podcast, the sixth jujitsu debrief. And I am the Warrior Priest, Donovan Riley. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Apologies for not posting a new episode on Sunday. My work schedule is such that apparently I need to stop waiting until Sunday to record and pre-record on Friday or Saturday when I have time and then post it for publication on Sundays because the way it's working, more people are joining my gym, more people are coming for free classes to try it out, and therefore more and more of my time is being taken up by business, which is a good problem to have, I think, because I don't really advertise for my gym. It's mainly word of mouth in the community, but the advantage that I have where I live at is that I am about the only gym, so to speak, in the area that offers jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai. Most of the gyms in my area, maybe I've talked about it before, but there's karate, there's taekwondo. 20, 25 miles north of me, there's American Top Team, who offers MMA. But as far as my area, there is no one offering to teach jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai, whether it be anti-bullying for kids whether it be women's self-defense or just an all-around mixed martial arts curriculum. As a consequence, when people find out about me, they find out about the gym and the classes and my schedule and so forth, they come and check it out. And I'm grateful for that. I just bought five more new mats, and then it looks like I'm going to have to buy at least five more if things keep going the way they are. So thank you. Thank you for getting the word out about the podcast and the gym. Thanks for wearing the podcast t-shirts and putting the stickers on your things so people are aware that I'm out here. And to everybody that listens locally, thank you for passing my name along and recommending me to others. That being said too, then shirts and stickers are available. You can contact me, DM me either through Anchor FM, you can email me or you can get a hold of me via uh, direct message on Instagram to uh, find pricing and shipping on the t-shirt and the stickers. Otherwise, you can go to Anchor FM, click subscribe, share with friends. If you want to support the podcast financially, you can click that support button on Anchor FM. Every dollar that uh, is put into the podcast by you, the listener, goes back into the podcast. So nothing is wasted here. There is no fat on this meat. So that being said then, it's been since November since I did a jiu-jitsu debrief. And since Wednesday mornings, now I do private lessons with my coach, I thought, since it's on my mind, we talk about it. Take a little break from Friedrich Nietzsche. Not a long break, of course, but a little one. To just talk about some things that I was thinking about on my drive home this morning, and my drive to the gym, actually. Which is this. People will ask, especially my own students now, when is a good time to start training with others? When is a good time to start sparring? And depending on whether it's Muay Thai or Jiu-Jitsu, there's a different approach to it, I guess. I don't know if it's a mindset or personality of the, of the student or the gym and the coach or what it is, what combination of things. But my jiu-jitsu students, for example, prefer to do technique and technical drills rather than spar at this time. But I've told both of them at this time that eventually within the next three months, we're going to have to start doing some sparring, technical sparring at the very least, because that pressure testing that you can only get through sparring, in my opinion anyways, is really essential to put everything together as far as the technique that you've been learning. On the other hand, at a certain point, I also think it's extremely valuable to train privately with your coach. Because at least for myself, my coach being a black belt, anything that I get away with in the gym during sparring he immediately shuts down. Little tricks that I use because I have super flexible hips and I'm long, he just shuts that stuff down and then laughs at me in a good way because I make noises and curse. But when I spar with my coach, then not only are we able to work on the really granular details of where I'm messing up a technique or all the places I'm messing up a particular technique, but I'm being pressure tested as a purple belt against a black belt. And none of my tricks work against that black belt. And therefore I have to go back to the fundamentals of technique. And if I didn't have that opportunity 
even if it's just once a week for 45 minutes to an hour to really process what am I doing wrong with my side control pressure? What am I doing wrong when I'm trying to isolate this arm? What am I doing wrong when I'm trying to pass over and get behind you or get a head and arm choke or a mounted Kimura? What am I doing wrong here or there? And to be able to work out those really granular details with your coach who also, while you're in class during the week, doing technique sparring is observing you. So he's aware of all of your idiosyncrasies, your good and bad habits, and he can then comment on those. And I think that's invaluable to have that balance then that you want to have opportunity to private lessons. You want to have those private times with your coach where they can pull out those details that perhaps you're not aware of or you can't identify for yourself. But simultaneously, the importance of rolling with others who are at or near your skill level. I think that both in the end, to make a full, well-rounded student of jiu-jitsu or Muay Thai even, has to go through that pressure testing. In Muay Thai, for example, we try and spar at least twice a month on the weekends with all of the students, my coach and, and myself. Because you do need that pressure testing. I was just commenting last night in Muay Thai class, a lot of new students, or maybe all new students, they drop their hands when they throw kicks or when they, they don't rotate on the balls of their feet and they try and throw power from their shoulders, which causes their chest to expand, which causes the chin to come up, which opens them up for all kinds of damage. And I tell them the same thing. When you're just standing in front of each other, it's easy to lose track of your footwork. It's easy to lose track of how you're throwing punches and kicks, how you're entering into the clinches. It's easy, especially when you're training with someone else at your own skill level, to forget to keep your chin down and your hands up or develop a good jab, for example. But when you spar with someone more experienced, when you spar with your coach, all of those are exposed. Several students have the bad habit of dropping their hands when they roll or slip. Well, I'm 6'2", and I have a 6 foot 4 inch wingspan, and I can kick from really far away. And a lot of times, I end up catching students in the head, not intentionally, I aim for their gloves, actually, but they drop their gloves when they slip or roll or drop a shoulder and they essentially just walk into a kick. Thankfully, we don't train at full blast. We try and keep things between 30 and 40% intensity so that people can work their defense and people can work their offense and you can learn rather than just blasting away and trying to hurt each other. But at the same time then, same thing with Muay Thai, those private sessions, those private sparring sessions, I think are invaluable for the same reason. You can spend that concentrated amount of time with your coach just working on your problems. And when I'm coaching, when I'm teaching, and I've got 8, 10, 20 people that I have to pay attention to, I just don't have the time, even though I want to have that time, I just don't have the time to stand there for seven minutes working on just your lead foot and rotating on that lead foot and pushing that, pushing out of the ball of your foot and pushing that weight out the end of your puncher kick and really getting into the nitty gritty of why you particularly, what your body likes to do when it throws a kick, for example, being able to, to isolate and pinpoint, okay, this is what you're doing. This is what your body is trying to do. So here's how we need to correct how you rotate on the ball of your foot to throw a really accurate and powerful and fluid fast kick. Sometimes you just don't have time for that and you have to leave it to the student to learn as they go. So I think if you have the opportunity to roll with your coach in particular, take it. If you have the opportunity to roll privately with a higher belt, a brown belt, for example, take it. The worst that can happen is that you get submitted every three minutes for an hour, which is going to happen regardless because they're a higher belt than you are. And I would hope if they're a brown or a black belt, they are tapping you every three to five minutes for an hour. If they don't, maybe they're not a legitimate brown or black belt. Or maybe you're just really that good, naturally talented. But I think what you'll find then is that your own game will grow and improve exponentially. If you can find the proper balance between once a week, even once a month, a private lesson with your coach and then rolling three, four, five times a week with your training partners, your teammates. Which leads me into my second thing that I was thinking about, sparring. Sparring is an interesting thing. When I started jiu-jitsu, I was terrified of sparring. 
for good reason. I'm on the mat with people that are trained killers. And even one of the women I trained with who had only been there six months longer than me could wreck me in no time. And I realized very quickly then that sparring was the worst part of the class and the most exciting part of the class simultaneously. So you go through warm-ups, you go through technique drills, you go through technical sparring, and then you get into the sparring itself. And when I first started sparring, in jiu-jitsu in particular then, it was such an adventure, such an odyssey, uh, and, and constant discovery, constantly being made aware of your failures, your faults, where you were too wild and spazzy, where you were trying to smash somebody when you should have gone for this or that, when you pulled guard when you could have swept them. You had the submission, but you didn't have it the proper way, and therefore they slipped out of it, whatever it might be. It was just crazy good, and I loved it, even though, like I said, it was just terrible because you're getting wrecked constantly. Muay Thai was different. When I started Muay Thai, shortly after I started Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai sparring was a whole other animal because here's this person, and they're kicking you, and they're punching at you. They're not holding you down and, and going for a joint lock or trying to get to your back to strangle you. They're chopping your legs down and they're punching you in the head and in the, in the abdomen, trying to get your kidney and your liver. They're trying to clinch you and knee and elbow you and sweep you and dump you on your back. That was a whole another thing. To be in a ring with someone like that, my coaches, and have them corner you and, and again, playfully, in the nicest way possible, but at the time you're brand new, you think they're just pulverizing you, just waiting for you to do something to get out of the corner of the ring and you just stand there and let them hit you and kick you and mess with you because you just freeze up. I did anyways, because it's so unnatural to get punched in the face. It's so unnatural. At least that's what my brain kept telling me when you get kicked right behind the thigh in the baby fat. When you get clinched up and your head is sucked to someone's chest and they're kneeing you, your brain is on overload in every way, shape, or form. All of the fuses in the box are shorting out. And you learn then how to overcome fear. You learn how to process violence. You learn how to be comfortable being uncomfortable and how to bring order out of the midst of chaos. And recently then, this has come up twice amongst new students. I was not privy to either conversation in total, but my wife heard one and I heard a piece of another where new students were talking about how aggressive I am when I spar, both in Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu, which I laughed at because I don't think of myself as an aggressive person. I'm 180 pounds now, finally, after putting the weight back on, but I am in no way a world beater. I'm not a pipe swinger. I'm much more, um, especially in grappling, I use my hips a lot. And in Muay Thai, I do a lot of teeps, a lot of push kicks, a lot of low kicks, a lot of question mark kicks, a lot of kicks. I like keeping people away from me with my legs. So I'm not the type of person who just rushes forward swinging, trying to knock somebody out or hurt somebody or submit somebody. Usually I let that person come to me. I love countering people, especially in striking, especially in Muay Thai. I love throwing counters. But I also like to use my partner's aggression or lack of aggression against them. So a hyper-aggressive person who's trying to just smash my face to the mat with their forearm, I'll use that to set up sweeps and submissions. Likewise, if they're super passive, I'll use that. And if you're aware of the push-pull principle, which is if I push you, your natural instinct is to push back. If I pull, your natural instinct is to pull away. And if you understand that principle, you can get someone moving their weight one way when you fully intend for them to go the other way. And you understand that principle, so you push someone because you know they're going to push back, which sets them up for a headlock, a standing guillotine, or a takedown, a snapdown. Likewise, when you teep someone, when they're coming forward aggressively, and you kind of fold them over, they tend not to come forward as quickly anymore. And then that sets up other things. It sets up your own entry to get into the clinch. It sets up punches to the body and shifting levels, you know, switching angles, coming off their center line, whatever it might be. But all of this is to say there's a difference in my mind, the way that I've been taught by my coaches, between aggression that is wildness, that's spazzy, that's I'm trying to win and I don't care if I hurt you to do it, 
and then intensity. Anybody who's ever competed or fought understands the difference. I think that when I first competed, I thought it was going to be a free-for-all. I thought I was just going to get ripped to pieces. And then I competed and it was exactly like sparring, except more intense. And that's when I realized, oh, I was overthinking the whole process. These people are just like me. They're the same belt level as me. They're the same weight as me. We're all kind of in the same boat here. And yeah, once in a while when I compete, you get someone who's hyper aggressive, who's just trying to rip your arm out of the socket. But that's actually quite rare, especially as you go up in belts. I've certainly seen plenty of white belts rip, try to rip each other's head off and dislocate elbows and shoulders and blow out knees sprawling just because they were going 100 miles an hour for the entire match. But as I've advanced in, into higher belt ranks, I've noticed it's not as quick-paced, but it is explosive in moments, and it's extremely intense for the entirety of the match. Everything's much more deliberate. There's less fat on the bone, and you have to be very sober and very alert and attentive to every single thing the other person is doing because they're not doing anything without purpose. And because they're calculated, they don't have to come in wild and spazzy trying to smash you. They're surgical. And so in my opinion, when someone says I'm aggressive, especially it's a new student, if it was someone of, of my experience or greater, if my coach said to me, you're being a little aggressive or you're being overly aggressive with the new students, I take that seriously because I don't want to be aggressive with new students in particular. But I also don't want to be aggressive in the sense of bullying someone or imposing my will on someone in the gym. That's not, it's not needful. It's needless to, to do that to somebody else, in my opinion. Now, I have people that I can train with at 80%, but we trust each other and we know each other and we can go at that intensity level. But that's rare. That's not the norm in my gym anyways. So I think it's important to understand, at least in my opinion, the way that I see it, that a lot of times the kids and the people that are calling me aggressive, it's kind of like I'm a wall and they're driving into me at 80 miles an hour and then they get out and complain that I'm being overly aggressive because I stopped, I caused their car to crash. It's like, no, I'm just here and you keep crashing into me because you're a lower belt, you have less experience and therefore there's a lot of fat on your technique. And I'm just going to sit here, I'm just going to stand here and I'm actually going to let you feed the submission to me through the multiple errors that you're going to commit. But you're crashing into me. If I catch you in a triangle, for example, or an omoplata or something, 100% it was because you were overly aggressive with your top pressure and your center of gravity was not on top of me, it was over my shoulder, which allowed my hips to move and for me to get you in a position to get that kind of a choke or a submission. That's not aggression, that's receiving the action, receiving the energy and then turning it back on itself. There's no wildness to it, there's no spazziness to it. And often when I tell students then, my students in particular, I was actually just going 20% right there. They don't have that, that measure because they don't have the experience. And so what they think is 80% is my 20%. They think I'm going as hard as they are because they're going so hard that they can, they're only aware of what they're doing. And therefore, when I submit them, their brain fills in the blanks to say, well, he must be going just as hard or harder than you are because how could he have done that? if he wasn't being as aggressive or as intense as you are? The answer is, well, technique and patience that's learned from being smashed over and over and over again by higher belts and people with more experience than me. And understanding distance management, for example, understanding pressure, understanding how to pinpoint where you're putting your body weight on a person to essentially force them through pressure to move and to give away what you're hunting for, whether it be an arm, whether it be the neck, whether it be an ankle, whatever it might be. But with experience, I think what ends up happening, at least in my experience, is that my spazziness gets replaced with intensity, which is often then confused as aggression. That being said, though, one final caveat. This is combat martial arts. Combat, martial, the art of war. There's going to be aggression in jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai in particular because they are combat martial arts. 
It's like the sign, leave your ego at the door in a lot of academies. Do I agree with that? Absolutely. Do I disagree with it? Absolutely. You need to be humbled when you come into the gym, for sure. You can try to be humble, but really, in my opinion, you have to be a passive participant in your own humbling. When I roll with my coach, I am humbled by the experience in more ways than one. When I rolled on Monday night with purple and brown belts, I was humbled over and over and over again. And I was grateful for it because I learned a lot. But simultaneously, it takes a certain amount of ego to do what we do, to spar with each other regularly, to kick, to punch, to sweep, to grapple, to choke, to uh, joint lock. You have to have a certain amount of ego to even walk through the door and say to yourself and others, I want to be a fighter. I want to learn how to fight. I want to know how to protect myself. I want to know how to be able to defend myself and others should the need arise. That takes a certain amount of confidence. It takes a certain amount of ego. So I don't think it's all or nothing. I think it's a both and here. Yes, you have to be humble about it, but you also have to understand what you're doing when you enter into a martial arts academy is learning the art of war. If that's not what you're doing, it's probably not a martial academy. It might be heavy on the art side of things, which is great. If you're into self-expression and that's what you're dialed into, power to you. I respect that. But if you're going into a combat martial arts gym, which combat and martial arts is kind of redundant, but we'll just let that go. The point is, though, that you're, you're training to fight. So if you get punched in the face while you're sparring in Muay Thai, or even when you're grappling, that's a part of it. That's a part of it. Sometimes it's by accident. Sometimes it's intentional. But you have to have a certain amount of ego. You have to have a certain amount of confidence. And yeah, I guess confidence is probably the best thing. But just that, that focus to say, I want to improve myself. I want to get better. I want to grow. I want to become stronger. And then within that, you find the balance constantly. That's what I'm struggling for is to find the balance between being too ego-driven, too much about myself, too selfish, and being too humble that I then hesitate and I lack aggression. I lack intensity. I'm not engaging when I'm sparring because then who am I serving? I'm not helping my partners by being passive, I'm not growing. I'm not helping myself. And so you don't want to be a rag doll. You don't want people to just throw you all over the place and take advantage of your passivity. And then simultaneously, you don't want to be so aggressive and so dialed into, this is what I need to accomplish tonight. And I'm going to walk through some people to get there. I need to win at least three rounds tonight. Well, that's not confidence. That's overconfidence. That's arrogance. That's pride. So I think it is always striving for that middle ground, the tension that exists in this dichotomy between being humble, but not too humble, and being selfish and confident, but not being overconfident and arrogant. It's a dichotomy and it's, it's a tension that most people are uncomfortable living with. But if you've ever had a 220 pound black belt crawl around on top of your chest for an hour, it shouldn't be that terribly uncomfortable. <laughs> so that being said, then, when it comes to sparring, in my opinion, you got to have fun. No matter how intense it gets, even in competition, one of the, the most difficult things that I still am trying to figure out for myself is my mindset. There's possibly a tournament coming up finally in May. And just talking about it, I start getting butterflies in my stomach and my blood pressure goes up and I just, I start getting all jittery because I know it's fun and I do it because it's fun and I want to challenge myself and I find that there's fun in that. But at the same time, there's fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of an opponent that you don't know, fear of what could or couldn't go wrong or happen, fear of losing control, especially in grappling. Two people are trying to impose their wills on each other, engaging in joint locks and chokes. I go into a tournament to win, but I also go into a tournament to have fun. And that, again, is a dichotomy. It's, for me anyways, it is, because it's difficult for me to have fun when I've made up my mind I'm going to win something. Then it's intense. It's super intense. 
for me in my mind. My whole thought process, even when I'm sleeping, I'm dreaming about fighting. And then I wake up and I'm thinking about fighting and I'm thinking about training and what I need to do to prepare for the tournament and for whoever my opponents might be. And as has happened numerous times in the past, I got done with a match and then within 40 seconds, I have to compete again in another seven to 10 minute round. So I have to think about my cardio and my stamina. I have to think about my mindset, all of these things that go into preparation for competition. But when you're sparring with other people who are not in that competition mindset, they're not preparing for a fight. In my opinion, you have to remember to have fun. You can't go in the gym with the mindset of every single person here tonight is going to help me prepare for this fight. Therefore, I'm going to train as if every person in this gym is on board with helping me train for this fight. Instead, what three, four, five, ten partners, teammates, do you know that are also preparing to compete or can help you prepare to compete, your coach and others, so that you have the proper balance between, hey, this is fun. We're doing this because it's fun. And then at the same time, we're doing this to prepare you to win your next fight. But again, I think we want we want to seek the squishy middle rather than the middle where there's tension between these dichotomies. And we seek the squishy middle because it's soft and it's comfortable and it doesn't demand a lot of us, just that we sit back, relax, and let the world go by. But to stand in that dichotomy between being humble and yet being confident, there's tension there. There's tension between, I'm going to have some fun tonight, but I'm also going to roll super hard to prepare for the next fight or competition with these three people. Again, that's a selfish decision, but necessary if you want to win. If you make up your mind that you want to win the fight or the tournament, that too is selfish. But yet you do so understanding you could very well lose because your opponent gets a vote. And they're training, hopefully, just as hard as you are for the tournament to prepare for it. You might get caught in eight seconds and submitted. You might go the full round and then lose on points. And then there's everything in between. And if you start to think about it and you go down that rabbit hole, it's a never-ending, spiraling, falling of anxiety and fear and worry versus just have fun. We're here to have fun. This isn't ADCC. This isn't Abu Dhabi. This isn't Worlds. We're good. We're competing in a junior high gym or high school gym or college track or wherever it might be. Indoor track, by the way. But have fun. And understand, losing is a part of competing. Losing is a part of fighting. There's got to be a loser in every single fight. But I think then, this is important. And it's important to me, at least, I should say that. It's important to me to never let slip that tension. To say, yeah, I want private lessons. I need to have someone with more experience than I am point out, my flaws and where I fail, where there's still fat on my techniques. And I need someone to be honest with me and to say, here's your main problem right here. And, oh, you do this right here. And this is why, or you don't know why you do this. You better figure it out. But then take that information that you get from those private lessons and apply it then in your regular sparring sessions with your teammates. Likewise, then pay attention when you're sparring with your teammates, which is why you don't go crazy And you don't try and smash and destroy your your teammates in sparring so that you can pay attention to what you're doing and what they're doing. Whether they succeed and, and you get submitted or you succeed and they get submitted, what was the process? How did we get from point A to point B? What was happening between those two points? How do we end up here? Why did I have to make these corrections when it should have been a straight submission? What, are, what how about all these other options that came up as we were rolling or fighting? And then you take those to your coach. You take those to a higher belt or someone with more experience. And you ask the questions. And the more experienced you become, the more questions you should have. You should start to recognize more and more of the flaws in your game and then recognize what other people are doing both positively and negatively. Bring that back to your coach and ask, hey, you know, I was sparring with so-and-so the other night. And she kept doing this thing with her hand. And I kept getting caught every time she did it. What's, what is she doing? 
Or every time I roll with him, he seems to get a lockdown and sweep me. Like, how does that keep happening? And then how do I prevent it from happening? And you go back and it's, you just go back and forth, back and forth. And you live in that tension between exposing yourself to a person who can point out all of your worst flaws and idiosyncrasies, but can also then identify those things so that you can improve when you're sparring with teammates and when you're in tournaments or you're fighting. And you go back and forth constantly and you hold that tension because you always need to learn. It's that Zen principle of Shoshin, always a student, always learning. The, the student is never greater than his master. And I think if you can have that mindset that you are always a student, there is always something to learn. Not about how to necessarily defeat your opponent, but I think more importantly, how do you defeat yourself? How do you vanquish the lesser version of yourself from yesterday? Today, when you come back to class and you think about sparring, the person that you are at the end of sparring today is better than the person at the end of sparring yesterday. But only if you're open to learning. Only if you have the humility to admit, I need a lot of help with my game. Only if you have the confidence to grow and to become stronger and to improve and understand that all of that growing and learning and improving is through pain, through the pain of learning, the physical pain of putting your body in that place where you're going to get kicked and punched and swept and dumped and choked and joint locked. But simultaneously through that, you're going to learn. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to improve. You're going to get stronger and not just in the gym, not just in competition, but in all of life. This is the reason, in my opinion, I think experience backs this up for anybody else who's been there long enough. What martial arts does for me, especially Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu, is I see it in all of life now. There is nothing about my life or my interactions with others at church, at home, in my community, at the gym, wherever it might be. There's no aspect of my life that is not informed by my training. And I am so grateful for that because I had hoped when I started jujitsu and Muay Thai that that at some point would become true. And I think it was Musashi said that when you see the way broadly, you see it narrowly. You can see it in everything. And I think if you can comprehend that these, these vehicles for learning and growth, Muay Thai and jujitsu, for example, these are vehicles for growth, but not just growth as a fighter, but growth as a person, as a human being. Then I think you can understand if you don't train Muay Thai or Jiu-Jitsu, you've never fought uh, in your life, you don't have any plans on competing in a tournament ever. You're just in class, and I say just, I don't mean that dismissively. I mean, you're just as in your primary purpose for learning Muay Thai or Jiu-Jitsu is just to get in shape, to learn how to control your emotions, to strengthen yourself intellectually, mentally, to overcome some trauma or abuse that you suffered, to learn how to defend yourself, to learn how to carry yourself in public. Maybe you just want to be sober and this is the vehicle that's going to deliver you to sobriety. Whatever your reasons for why you do what you do and why you come to class, the reason that you stay, the reason that you can't stay away from it is because it is life. It informs life. And it gives you a set of glasses to see the world in such a way that you recognize something that you have received from Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu is something that 99.999% of the population will never understand or enjoy. They do not understand that it is through pain that true growth happens. They don't understand the joy and elation of overcoming the perversion of yourself that you were yesterday. And to be able to feel that to be able to train against another human being and impose your will upon another human being in such a way that you make them admit that if this were live, you would have broken their elbow or choked them to death or knocked them out. But also then the intimacy of those moments. Those are the most intimate moments that I share with another human being outside of my relationship with my wife. 
you can't hide who you truly are on the mats. You can't, you can't fake it when you're in a ring. Who you are will come out. And maybe you don't like the person that comes out. Okay, fix that. Change. Kill that person. Become a better person. You do like the person that comes out, but you want to accentuate that. You want to nurture and cultivate that. Great, do it. Read more books. Train more often. Ask your coach to do private lessons once a month, twice a month. Do what is necessary to build up and strengthen that thing about yourself that you want to see more of. Surround yourself with people that motivate, that encourage, that fuel you to be better. I was just reading again the other day, you are, your personality reflects the five people that you are around the most often. So whoever you spend the most time with, those three, four, five people will have the most profound influence on your person and your character. So if you feel unmotivated, if you don't feel like your friends fuel you to be better and stronger and to improve, you've got bad friends. You've got the wrong friends. Maybe they'd be better off just being acquaintances that you see once in a while. Find friends that fuel you, that celebrate your victories, that want to see you, that challenge you too. My best friends submit me on a regular basis. My best friends beat the living hell out of me on a regular basis. We share those moments. They're intimate moments because we're exposed and we're open to each other. But simultaneously, we're learning. We're learning a lot about ourselves. We're learning about each other. We're learning about the martial art. We're growing. And when you grow with someone else, when you participate in a struggle with someone else, it bonds you in a very interesting and unique way. And you don't share that then with anybody else. It's a special bond. It becomes a drug, to be honest. And I know plenty of people that I train with who would say the same thing. Jiu-jitsu, for example, is the most powerful drug they've ever taken. Because it's a combination of all of those factors. And you can't find it anywhere else. I've tried. I tried a lot of different places and a lot of different places. I didn't find what I was looking for, to quote you two. And now I've found it. And once I found it, I wanted to give it to other people, which is why I started my own gym. That's why I started this podcast. I wanted other people to know the benefits of Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu. I wanted other people to know the benefits of studying great warriors, great leaders, great thinkers, and to say, they're there. It's all there for you. You just have to reach out and take it. Just open the door and walk through it. Open the book and start to read. Open your ears and start to listen. It's all there for you. But it's your choice whether you choose to take it up or not. It's not for everybody, that's for sure. But for those few who stick with it, you are exceptional human beings. You are. Whether you're aware of it or not, you are exceptional. You are strong. You are courageous and brave. Because you keep going back. You keep getting smashed. You keep getting submitted. The bruises, the bumps, the breaks, the sprains. You go through all of it and you keep coming back. And if you just stop now and reflect on the person that you were when you started, even if you've been doing it a week, you're a different person than you were a week ago. And every week that you go back, you put more and more distance between yourself and the person that you used to be until eventually you will become unrecognizable to yourself, your past self. And that's a wonderful thing if that was your trajectory. So to all the kids, to all the women, to all the men, to all of you who found your way into a gym and fell in love with jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai, you know, you know, you understand. And to those of you who haven't yet, find your way. Figure it out. Even if you're just doing it in your garage or your basement and you have to watch YouTube videos or order. Um, does, it, does anybody even order DVDs anymore? I mean, you don't really have to. You have digital downloads. Just dated myself. Order the DVD set right now and we'll throw in an extra three DVDs plus shipping and handling. No, you can download videos. And if you have a question, call me. 
DM me. I'll try and answer the best of my ability. We can FaceTime if you need to. If you have questions or you just don't have access to a coach or a gym and you have some questions for me, I'd love to have a conversation about that with you. And I'll make it a priority if I can to give you the time to have that conversation. But I have yet to find anything else that helps keep me sober, that provides me the tools that I need to be sober better than Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu. I've never found anything that makes me not only want to be a better person, but makes me a better person than Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu. I can't imagine not doing this. In fact, when I talk with friends and teammates who say, well, my husband, my wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever said I spent too much time at the gym. So I had to kind of cut back on my, on my time here. I ask them, are, are they aware that this is actually what makes you who you are? That the person that they love, the person they respect, the person that they cherish is that person because of jujitsu and Muay Thai? Do they not understand that? Because without this, I'm that person that I don't like. So I think often because our partners don't do it with us or aren't doing it themselves, there's that, that, that divide and you try to build bridges to connect the two sides. But unless they do it, it's like three months after I got sober and I was going to meetings, I came home one afternoon or one evening and I said to my wife, you have to go to Al-Anon or we're going to get divorced. And she was shocked, of course, but... What I meant was I was going to Alcoholics Anonymous. I was working the 12 steps. I was learning about how to live sober. I was learning about the roots of my addiction. And I was changing very rapidly. And she wasn't. And we were growing apart. We were becoming two different people. And so I said, you have to go to Al-Anon because you have to understand not only me, but also your codependency and how you are a willing participant in my cycle of addiction. And that's not healthy for you either. And so she started going to Al-Anon and then heard other people talk about what it's like to be married to an alcoholic and a drug addict, and all of the lights went off for her. And she came home and said, thank you so much for demanding that I go to Al-Anon. It's, now I understand. Now I'm around people who can help me piece together why I am the way I am, why I'm codependent why I let you gaslight me, why I participate in this cycle of addiction that I have married myself into. And it was through that experience, as an example then, that we grew as a couple and we became stronger in our marriage as individuals and as a couple. And then you have a child and then it intensifies and you want to become even better for that child because you recognize, or at least I've recognized this, is that the way that I grew up is not normal and that you don't have to be a child who survives childhood. You can actually be a child who enjoys being a child and that there's no statute of limitations on being a child. My daughter asked, I think I brought it up before, but my daughter brought up who started the tradition that when a child turns 18 and graduates, they have to leave home. And I was like, huh, you know, that's a good question. I don't know, but I think it's dumb. She's like, yeah, it is dumb. I'm like, I'm not ready to go into the world when I'm 18. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a good point. But we have these artificial measures, these artificial weights that we put on ourselves and we impose them on others and treat them as if they're normal. But what happens when you start to train and what happens when you start to train regularly and it becomes something you enjoy and something that's even addictive, you start to recognize all of these artificial limits and barriers that people put on themselves and others so that they don't have to succeed, so that they don't have to go through failure and pain. They don't have to struggle because they want to exist in the squishy middle and they'll do everything and anything they can to participate in that exercise of keeping everyone in the squishy middle to be all a part of the common herd versus those who step out and say, no, you know what? I've got ambitions. And I want to be an exceptional human being for the people that I live with. And this, this is my vehicle. This is going to get me there. And I'm going to leave a lot of you behind, friends, family, coworkers, students, peers. And I'll say hi to you when I see you. And I'll be cordial and I'll be kind and I'm happy to see you. I missed you. But 
I'm going up this mountain. And don't care if I get to the top. That's not why I'm going up the mountain. See, most people think the whole purpose of climbing a mountain is to get to the top. It's because that's why they never climb mountains. The purpose of climbing the mountain is to climb the mountain. Getting to the top is just where I catch my breath before I descend. But the whole purpose of climbing the mountain is just to climb it and to go through the struggle and the pain and the hardship of climbing the mountain because that's where you get stronger. That's where you improve. That's where you become better. But for those who have never had that experience, well, as I heard the other day, they stand on top of boulders and call it a mountain peak. Most people think they know how to fight. They have no idea. They stand on boulders thinking that they've summited a mountain like Everest or McKinley. So roll with your coach when you can, but also have fun. Be intense, but don't be wild. Spar as much as you can, but spar under control. Spar so that your partner can see what's coming. Spar so that you can see what's coming and improve your defense. Compliment your sparring partner. Compliment your coach. Be a good partner. That's how you compliment them, by showing up and being the best version of yourself you can be that day. Yeah, you leave your ego at the door, but you also bring your competition bone with you into the building. And like I said, if you don't have access to a jujitsu gym, if you don't have access to a Muay Thai coach, hit me up, DM me, and uh, I'll see what I can do to help you, or at least point you in the direction of some videos or some instructors that I think are super helpful, like Liam Harrison, Kevin Ross, others like that. Marcelo Garcia, John Danaher, Gio Martinez, Richie Martinez, Eddie Bravo, the Machado brothers, and on and on it goes. But this is who we are. We are the weirdos. We are the ones who climb the mountain just for the thrill of climbing. We are the ones who fight because, well, it actually gives us pleasure. I was just joking with my friend Brittany the other day that you know, you know you're different when someone punches you in the face and it actually makes you smile and gets you excited to punch them back. We realize that we're not wired the same as everybody else. And that's okay. That's not a knock against other people. It's just that this is what we do and this is how we derive pleasure from, for, for ourselves and what makes us better people. And if you found that in, in whatever avenue you've chosen to pursue that, then kudos to you. I celebrate you and I'm grateful that you're on the planet because you make it a better place. If you haven't found that yet, start thinking about it maybe. Seek it out. Make that choice. Reach out and grab it. Take it for yourself. Otherwise, that's all I got today. Like I said, getting up and rolling in the morning pretty much gets me on a singular thought pattern for the rest of the day. Rolling with a black belt. Oof, that's something. <laughs> I'm just grateful that he likes me. <laughs> but thank you as always for your patience thank you for your time and attention it's valuable I know that and it's valuable to me so I try to do my best to put out the best product that I'm capable of every time I sit down and if I'm not prepared to do that then I'd much rather not put the episode out like I did this last Sunday I could have I could have put out a 25-30 minute episode but it wouldn't have been my best I wasn't focused I was thinking about my lesson plans for Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu I was tired from church. I want to take a nap and eat. I thought eating lunch was important. And maybe that's the last thing to leave you with for this debrief is there's a time to train and there's a time to rest. There's a time to embrace the suck, embrace the grind. And then there's a time to relax and heal and let your mind just be quiet. I know guys that train twice a day, five, six days a week, and they're fantastic human beings. They're wonderful. I can't do that. My body would just crumble. I'm not young like that anymore. But at the same time, I am doing something within Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu every single day, seven days a week, because I'm either teaching, I'm training, I'm watching videos, I'm studying film, I'm listening to other people explain technique and film and fights to me, whatever it might be, because that's what I enjoy. And therefore, it just kind of swallows you up and becomes your life in a good way, in my opinion. 
But I think it is very important, especially for those of you who are young, don't be afraid to take a day off if you're sore and tired. You're not quitting. It's a day. It's not a lifetime. People that say they're going to take a day off, they know whether or not they're going to come back tomorrow. So it's not as if you take a day off, you're never going to go back to training or you're a quitter or you let your teammates down. You need a mental health break. You need a physical break every once in a while. So do it when it's necessary. Listen to your body. Listen when your body says only roll with white and blue belts tonight. Likewise, listen to your body when it says go after those brown belts over there tonight. Listen to your body. And again, as an older person who has not listened to his body before, I can tell you from experience that, yeah, you feel like a badass because you just sparred in Muay Thai while you're pissing blood because of a kidney stone. It makes you feel like you're a warrior. It makes you feel like you're glorious and great and all these things. But you're also doing kidney damage. And it's your kidney. You're doing damage to your own kidney. And you're not focused on training. You're focused on not pizzling in your underwear while you're sparring. And you hope that no one kicks you in the stomach and your bladder releases. Would I do it the same way all over again? Yeah, of course I would because I'm stupid. And I love to train and I love to spar. And any opportunity I get to train with my coach, my Muay Thai coach and my training partner, Greg, I'm going to take it regardless of whether I'm pissing blood or not. That's the game, baby. But I don't recommend it. Let's put it that way. Do what I say, not what I do. How about that? So take a mental health day. If you're feeling sick, if you're feeling like that injury is just not recovering the way that you were thinking it would or hoping it would, take a day or two, rest it, ice it, put heat on it, do what you need to do to take care of yourself so that you can come back fresh and rejuvenated and healthier. This is a marathon, not a sprint. It's a life, not a hobby. And once you make that transition from a hobby to a lifestyle, you know, why would you want to go back? If you're, if, again, if you understand, you understand. I don't think I have to explain that to you. And if you don't, get after it. And then you will understand. And I, I promise you, it will, it will make your life better in so many ways that I can't even begin to explain to you. So that's what I got. That's my, my love letter to Jiu-Jitsu and Muay Thai on March 10th, 2021 at 12.30 p.m. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Thank you for recommending it to friends and family. Thanks for sharing it online. And that being said, then, I will do my bestest to get that new episode of the podcast out on Sunday. We'll get back to Sasamori and Christianity and Bushido, wrap that up. I got some other things in the pipeline I want to cover. So thank you. We'll see you later, weirdos. Peace.